Welcome to Overdrive, and uh, with me as always, Tim and Wilf. Guys, uh, thank you for joining me, and um, it's actually with a bit of sad news that we come back uh, with Overdrive, uh, following the sad loss of um, possibly one of the greatest uh, racing drivers ever, Sir Sterling Moss. Indeed, indeed. I mean, a man who's raced across many different forms of motorsport and tragically lose his life again. It's just um, another one added to the list of many tragedies over this past year. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest, he was uh, he was 90. It's not uh, not as if he, uh, he hadn't had a good, um, good innings, as they say, but um, it is still a... Uh, a, a tragic loss, um, Tim. You know, what 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 are your immediate thoughts or, or memories about um, Sterling and, and, and his career? He's one of those drivers whereby it's almost fashionable to uh, really uh, knock him as an underachiever until you actually look at what he actually uh, brought. It's uh, that he may not have been littered with world titles as such. But the guy was a uh, bona fide, uh, you know, winner. You know, it's, uh, his actual winning statistics are one of the highest out there. And when you actually look at the diversity of different types of cars he actually raced in, and uh, yeah, things like the Melia Melia, um, actually, yeah, you you can't help but actually have a fond place in your heart for such a guy. He uh, really is. Actually, won the races, races. Absolutely. I mean, as you say, he um, he never won the the Formula One. Uh, drivers championship uh, was runner-up um, on on several occasions uh, uh, four times I think um, including most memorably when he you know, arguably he, he should have won it in 1958 um, uh, had it not been for um, his involvement with the stewards when his chief rival Mike Hawthorne um, received um, uh, some some help from the marshals in getting the car back on, uh, getting his his stalled car going, uh, and Moss went to the stewards and said, "No, you, you can't allow it." He the car was off the track. It it wasn't as if he was receiving help while the car was on the track. It was off track, um, and it was you know, the the right thing to do. Um, and he said at the time, um, you know, he felt that it was better to be respected by the drivers for being a fair uh, competitor rather than. You know, going out there and, and you know, telling a lie uh, just to win the world championship, and I think that um, that level of honesty was something that everybody uh, respected him for, um, and um, it, it is something that really puts him above uh, the class of, of other drivers. I mean, you you take him as as a type of driver that he was. I mean, he, you're, you're taking into consideration that he was going from one weekend to the next weekend, jumping in different cars, different mm -hmm. formats. Because obviously now you're, you're taking one driver, one manufacturer. He wasn't driving for one manufacturer. He was being paid to drive for certain people and taking in different vehicles. And to achieve what he did by going from vehicle to vehicle is just incredible. Yeah, that's right, um, and and it's it's quite interesting that the um, you know his his big major breakthrough came 
when he was only sort of 2021 20, at the uh, the tourist trophy at Dundrodin in in Ireland um, uh, driving a privately entered Jaguar XK120 because none of the works teams would uh, would offer him a drive because they thought he was too young. I mean, you know, he was 20 years old back then. That was almost like being a, you know, a child going into going into racing. We see it now with Vettel being uh, um, Vettel and uh, Verstappen coming in very very young, but you know, he was. He was really young at the time, and that's something that, um, that that a lot of people forget, and that's why even in uh, even in his uh, career, it was a 12-year career that he had. Um, you know, he was still relatively young when uh, his accident at Goodwood happened. Yeah, that's uh, incredibly true. We, uh, we, but a lot of people work forget that actually he had that horrific accident. He did come back from it and uh, actually survived and very much like Lauda is one of those people that actually uh, people should uh, as well as celebrating their racing just the sheer will to live yeah I mean the the, the accident at, um, at Goodwood was horrific the car was completely damaged um, did he try and come back too soon possibly I think um, certainly in the fullness of time he realized that uh, Maybe he had attempted to try and make a comeback too soon, but you know, he said at the time when he did the comeback, um, he was having to think too hard about things that he knew had come naturally before. Um, so that's why he hung up his helmet. But uh, you're absolutely right. The um, uh, Just the sheer tenacity of, of getting back there uh, and surviving through it after being in a coma for, uh, I believe it was three weeks, um, was, uh, was incredible. But that just goes down to the old school style of work ethic, where you'd have an accident of, of that magnitude and it, it's down to that kind of era where you just went back and did what you did. You didn't take time out. You didn't have the, the paramedics and all the stuff that we have now that can put you through training regimes to get your back fit in a month. Do you know what I mean? He just went on medical advice. Yeah, I'm feeling all right. I'm good. I'll go back. Yeah. I don't really, it's fair to say it's uh, work ethic, to be honest. That actually, if you take, for instance, Ericsson, that actually, uh, you know, end up barrel rolling uh, off the straight at Monza. Uh, the guy was straight back in the car the next day after actually uh, flipping the thing at a couple of hundred miles an hour. It's... Uh, that's a completely different accident in, in a completely different car. You can jump out of a car. Ericsson can jump out of a car, go back into another car a day later. A crash like Sterling had, you can't, I mean, for him to come out of an accident like that is just pure saving grace in itself. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's oh, yeah, go. Let, let, let's go back a little bit and talk about the the, the, the career of, of Sterling a little bit more. I mean, 1955 really was um, a, a breakthrough year for Sterling. Um, he joined the the Works Mercedes team alongside Juan Manuel Fangio, um, and um, it, you know it, it was an absolutely incredible year. Um, he, he took his first World Championship Grand Prix victory at the British Grand Prix in Aintree, the first uh, British driver to win the British Grand Prix. Um, 
and of course it was the year that he won the, the, the Mille Emilia. Um, absolutely phenomenal season uh, he had and it was uh, just unfortunate that it was marred by the tragic events of, of Le Mans that year um, in which he and Fangio most probably would have won because um, when they were called in and, and the Mercedes team pulled out at uh, four o'clock in the morning after the, the events of Pierre Lavey's accident um, they were three laps ahead of the Jaguars so that could have been an absolutely monumental season for him yeah, it's, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's, uh, re you know, so many people will look at him as a failure but don't actually realise quite how good he was. And uh, it, again, it's just fate intervening uh, with the guy. But, you know, he's going to be missed, uh, you know, sadly, by a lot of people. And it's basically because he is the right, you know, he's the decent guy. He's the one that, you know, uh, should have won, but actually ethics, uh, you know, come first for him. And uh, that's a rare quality. Yeah, and he, um, you know, the other thing that people don't probably don't realise is that he, um, for, for quite a while, he um, held a number of uh, production car speed records. Um, including um, the, the, the production car record for Class C cars um, in, a, in a Jaguar XJ120. Um, and he, he was part of a four-man team that drove the car for seven days and nights um, around the Montfleury uh, bank track in, in, in France. Um, you know, I mean, that's something else uh, that's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, but as part of that, you know, at the time, that was 1952, and they did it for seven days and nights, including the time that it took for driver changes, refueling, and, and so on. Um, the four-man team did an average of 100.31 miles per hour. Just an incredible feat. Um, he went to Bonneville Salt Flats uh, and broke records there in a purpose-built MG, uh, including the flying kilometre at 245 miles per hour. I mean, just unbelievable some of what he did, uh, not just racing, but outside of racing as well. Oh, very much. He, uh, he really is just one of the truly uh, great all-round drivers. But then that's why you can see so many so many different racing drivers from different formats look back on Sterling as an inspiration and, and as a person and driver mm. to, to aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. Because he, you know, he tried all sorts. Um, uh, although he uh, essentially retired from racing after that, crash in 62 he did come back as you say he did have a, a little bit of a comeback he came back in the uh, the british Australian car championship uh with audi um for a couple of seasons not very successfully but um you know he, he still came back he did a couple of one-off races uh in bathurst and in new zealand so you know and, and more recently um got involved in historic racing and historic um demonstrations so he really had quite a quite a full on full on career. Oh, very much, and uh, yeah, I for one, uh, yeah, I'm very sorry to see him, him passing. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, one of the uh, heroes of the sport is gone. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's a massive loss to motorsport in general across all genres. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very tragic. And of course, for, um, uh, I guess, for a lot of uh, younger people that are watching this, um, he will ever be associated as the uh, narrator for Rory the Racing Car cartoons <laughs> or the, the, the animated uh, series. Um, you know, and I think that just shows um, the, the kind of person that Sir Sterling was, you know, able to. Um, be approachable and have an approach to people of all ages and give them an interest in motorsport. But he would do that when he, when he went to like Goodwood for the Festival of Speed. He, he was one of those guys that, although you put him, people would put him up on a pedestal. He's not one that stayed. He's not one that stayed up there. He would can talk to everybody and anybody who approached. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was uh, he was always very pleasant, um, and um, he recognised that the value of um, of the fans um, and, and what that did to uh, to him and and to the motorsport community in general. <laughs> 